the Rock and Roll Research Podcast. My name is Matt Valley, and I believe researchers and insights pros often take the scenic route to this industry, and it makes for unique perspectives and great stories that I love to share with you here on the Rock and Roll Research Podcast. Today's guest is Paul Coley, who's had a career of progressive responsibility of about 11 years or so uh, for a company that you've probably heard of called C-Space, who's really a pioneer in the creation and leveraging of communities for the purpose of generating insights for their clients. Really cool company based in Boston. Uh, but before he did that, Paul was the drummer of a commercially successful garage rock band. And that's usually a contradiction of terms, commercially successful and garage rock, but it applies in this case. Uh, and that band was called Red Yellow and they're really, really cool. They're active in the early to mid aughts thrashy, youthful, punkish energy and attitude. Um, just awesome stuff. So welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. That's a great way to describe it. I couldn't have <laughs> said it better myself. I, you know, you just have to listen to it once and you, you can't avoid those adjectives. So yeah, <laughs> Super I cool. like it's, it. It's, it's so far up my alley. I just, uh, it's great stuff. Uh, I'll make sure to link to it here so people can see it. But uh, let's jump in and let's let's start with your day job, Paul. So you're working in Insights uh, at C-Space. You've been there for a while. How did you get into this space? Yeah, so I um, I I basically fell into it. I think you know that, that's how you've you've had guests. You know, you've asked in the past. You know, how did you get in? Did you kind of fall into Insights? A lot of people seem to kind of fall into the Insights space, and and that definitely describes me. Um, I, after I graduated college, I, um, I moved to New York City. You know, I went to UMass out in the sticks of Western Massachusetts, you know, primarily because the Pixies wrote a song about it. Uh, <laughs> Sonic Youth lived out there. There's some more Kim Gordon and uh, uh, Jay Maskus was like from there. And that's not really the only reason, but it, it helped uh, push me in that direction. I was either going to go to Boston or Western Mass. And I was like, Western Mass seems cool. How, how all this good music come out of there? I must, I must go there and see what that's all about. Cool. It ended up being a good decision. Um, so I went to UMass, graduated, went to New York, and then I started working uh, in marketing because uh, I needed a job, really. And um, uh, I worked for the New York City Bar Association running their marketing program mm -hmm. and uh, did that for a year. And then uh, I quit my job to go on tour with my band, which we can talk about that. But I quit my job, went to Europe, did some touring. Um, did that for about five years, prof like professionally full time. Didn't make any money, but had a lot of fun. <laughs> Um, uh, and then after, after that, I, I came kind of back into the corporate world. So I got a late start, um, I guess in the nine to five kind of corporate environment, but I worked at a startup after my music career kind of, uh, I guess I could say ended, uh, or I shifted gears back into the corporate world. I, uh, I worked at a startup for a few years that was around the 2008, 2009, when the financial crisis was hitting. So everything dried up, they, they went out of business. And then um, I was looking for another job and I found uh, Communispace, which is now C-Space. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know, all I knew was when I went on the website and I looked at the people, cause they had pictures and bios of everybody. I was like, these seem like my kind of people. This feels like my kind of company. And right. it was attractive. It was young. It was smart. It was uh, funny, sense of humor, but you know, um, hardworking. Right. And the client roster was amazing. So um, I, I interviewed for like basically, you know, an exec admin position because I didn't have a lot of working background. You know, I was mm -hmm. coming out of music. Um, 
And I, I ended up working with the chief client officer there. And she actually hired me because she said she Googled my name and saw like some band pics of me, like some sweaty <laughs> band pictures of, of me being to crazy band pictures. She's want to hire that guy. <laughs> so, so I was like, this is, that explains the fit, you know, like we yeah. were, we were, you know, it was just the right place to land. And this is circa 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been there ever since 2009. And, and that, you know, online communities were still relatively, you know, newer at that point. Um, there wasn't a ton of competition. We were growing double digits every year. You know, this is the financial crisis. Everybody else was like doing layoffs. We were hiring. Yeah, uh, couldn't fill. We had to move our office. It was so, you know, so it was a great uh, upward traje- trajectory, and um, I was really attracted to that. And then through my eleven years, that's really how I became. You know, I really started to understand insights working at CSpace. Um, but before that, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I thought market research focus groups, you know, stodgy. You know, uh, you know, sit around a table, you know, survey, you know, that kind of thing. I didn't know how cool it could be, how yeah. fun it could be. Well, it, it definitely is cool. And uh, you're proof of that, right? So <laughs> I <Cool>. guess so. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so you alluded to it already. Uh, you had a career before you headed into insights, a career as a drummer. That's what I would like to be when I grow up. So <laughs> let's hear a lot. Let's hear about that. Kindred spirit. Uh, yeah. Um, so I started playing when I was eight years old. Um, and, you know, really my impetus for, for wanting to play was, you know, seeing uh, Ricky Rocket from Poison uh, on MTV. <laughs> and it was the coolest looking thing. I mean, these guys were having the time of their lives. I'm like, that's a job? Like, you could, you could do that? Like, did these people do this? I'm like, I want that job. That's the job I want. <laughs> so um, my brother was playing guitar. And so he started taking lessons. He's a year and a half older. So we're very close in age. So I was like, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to play drums. I want to be Ricky Rocket. So I started taking lessons at eight years old uh, from a jazz teacher in my neighborhood who was like really strict, really older school guy. Um, and for the first year, he just made me do Buddy Rich rudiments. That's it. Yeah. No drum set. Didn't touch a drum set for a year. Um, so uh, eventually I got the drum kit, started jamming with my brother. We did that every day. Um, you know, grew up, got into, you know, high school, kept playing with, you know, kids in the, in, in, you know, high school and friends. And I was playing with my brother every day. It's all we did. You know, we just, we just played music in our basement. That was our hobby. That's mm-hmm. all we ever, you know, if it was free time, it's what we were doing. Um, and so I did that through high school, got into, you know, this, the, the grunge scene, early nineties grunge, you know, explosion. And uh, went from hair metal to like, grunge rock Mm -hmm. and um like bands like nirvana and stuff and then through that i was like oh there's punk so then i started you know digging layers deeper and getting into punk rock and then playing in punk bands in you know high school and doing you know club shows and really small house parties with like adults who are like in their 20s who i thought were ancient (laughs) um but i was like 15 (laughs) Uh, so i started playing out at a young age Mm -hmm. um and then you know like i said i went out to umass um and that's when Red Yellow was formed. Um, I had been, you know, I went to UMass and met a, a friend and we, we started a little band and played some dorm shows. And these three kids, you know, had seen one of those shows and they needed a drummer. So they came and asked me, do you want to, you know, jam with us, play with us? And I said, sure. So they came over, we, st- we played, we got along great. We became fast friends and then the band was born. Um, we started playing UMass and getting some buzz, playing dorms. Uh, it was it was really fun, and mm-hmm. uh, we, we recorded a four song EP, and 
you know, in like a, you know, a homemade studio in some basically a converted garage. Right. Um, and we recorded the EP. It sounded awesome. And then I moved to New York, you know, then I, like I said, I moved to New York and I started my marketing you know, job, mm-hmm. but I still had one foot in the music. And right. so eventually you stayed, you stayed in the same band, even though you were in another city. Yes. I was commuting. I would come from New York, Brooklyn to Boston to play shows back and forth and back. Like I was driving, I lived in New York, but I was in Boston all the time. Every weekend right. I was driving. It was ter- it's a terrible drive to like New York to Boston. It's just yeah, kind it's of brutal. <laughs> grind. Um, but yeah, I was spending a lot because the band started building once I left because the EP had just been recorded and we all knew mm-hmm. it was some, it was good. And then I, it was summer and I was like, I'm starting my job, you know, I'm going in the fall to New York and I wasn't going to stop doing that. Right. So the buzz started to build. And then, um, you know, the interesting, I guess, story of that is, you know, in Boston, it started to get some momentum and, um, my guitar player was in a cafe and Chris Novoselic from Nirvana was in the cafe and they were playing our EP and he was sitting with a guy named Mark Cates who nobody, we didn't know. Uh, he, my, my guitar player didn't know. And mm-hmm. Chris Novoselic was tapping his foot to the song that was our song. So right. he goes over to him because he's got, you know, he's just one of those guys. He just goes over and it, he's, this is my band. Yeah. You know? so, so for those who don't know, Chris Novoselic, the bass player for Nirvana, right? Okay, right. So, Thank yeah, you for clarifying that. Yeah. Um, Yes. So, um, you know, he was like, this is really good. You know, bass player from Nirvana is telling, you know, this is really good, your song. And, and he was sitting, like I said, with this gentleman, Mark Cates. Mm-hmm. So um, Mark had come from L.A. to Boston and started a record label called Fenway in Boston because he was a Boston bred guy and wanted to come back to his roots. But mm-hmm. he had been uh, A&R for Geffen and DGC in the early 90s. He worked with Nirvana and Sonic Youth. That's why he was having lunch with Chris Novoselic. So, you know, he was coming back to Boston and looking for talent in the Boston area. And so it just so happened that he had to be, he heard our songs. So he started coming to our shows and hanging out in the back. And then he approached us and said, you know, I, I'm building this label and you guys are a fit. I think you're a fit for it. Do you want to come on board? And so we said, yeah, <laughs> do it. So we like got a manager really, you know, whipped up a manager and signed con, you know, we got signed to the label. And he knows, you know, he knows everybody in the business. So he started shopping us to like, you know, legit, um, you know, acts to open for when they came through Boston. Right. Um, And so we started getting good opening shows in Boston at real, you know, Middle East, you know, good clubs in the Boston area. Mm -hmm. And um, we got the tour offer to go to Europe. Um, You know, he hooked that up for us. And that's when I quit my job. I said, well, this is what I'm, I guess I'm quitting my job, moving from New York back to Amherst. And I'm to see where this goes and i was about 23 years old right um and i that that was the next five years of my life that's what kind of kicked it off and pulled me out of the nine to five world into this other crazy um kind of universe for the next five years <laughs> well that's an incredible bit of serendipity uh the story about the cafe it's uh, that's how the music industry used to work right um so you've I'm sure you've got some really cool, cool stories from your tour and, and some of the things you did along the way and maybe some of the bands that you played with. If you got one or two to share, we'd love to hear. Yeah, I've got a, I, I was thinking about that. You know, I've got a couple. I think, you know, when I think about, when I think back on that time, you know, it's, it's, it's just how much fun you have in a band, like how, how funny, how, just how, like, how much camaraderie you build with people, especially the bands you tour with and how fun it is and how funny, like we're always cracking jokes and having a really fun time 
Mm-hmm. So that it was just really lighthearted and always we were always just laughing, I felt like. But uh, I think about some highlights along the way that like kept me in the band for five years, you know, kept me doing it. Um, one was, you know, um, we had, you know, through our label, we had gotten an offer to be in a mo- song in a movie, have our song in a movie, a song on our first record that uh, that we had a full length. Um, and um we had uh you know gone ahead and done that it's a movie called waiting okay and it's got dane cook it's got uh ryan reynolds and you uh-huh. may see it on comedy central from time to time they like work in a restaurant and <laughs> they like it's just shenanigans i think it's even called it's it's shenanigans and, and all kinds of you know funny yeah. you know uh humor in there but um so we did that and i um I went back to my hometown and one of my best friends from high school and like, you know, we went to the movie theater. I didn't know uh, when the song was going to be played. I didn't right. know how long it was going to be played for or anything. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, we just sat in the back row. I think we brought, we might even brought some rum into the theater. We got some Cokes and, and uh, we were like <laughs> waiting to hear my song and I'm sitting in, you know, a movie theater. Like, this is like a, wow, this is really happening. I'm having, you know, it felt very like, really important you know that that moment and it was just it was a cool experience because i got to have my friend with me who's a huge music fan um cool and i had gotten like a 500 hundred dollar royalty check so i thought like ooh, <laughs> i'm gonna go to the bar after and like you know spend some my my royalty money and like you know it's just like um it was just it was just one of those things that felt really uh, it was a really great experience um sure the other was playing the reading festival in the uk um you know, I had, like I said, you know, a huge influence on me was, you know, grunge in the early nineties. And I had, mm-hmm. I had watched a movie, which I highly recommend anybody go out there and put on YouTube. You can watch the whole thing. It's called 1991, the year punk broke. Um, it's, it's if anybody likes, you know, bands like Sonic Youth, the Ramones, Dinosaur yeah. Jr. Nirvana, yeah. you know, it's basically tour footage of a European tour they did, but there's a ton of Reading footage and mm-hmm. it's a huge festival in the UK where there's like, I don't know, 20,000 people it's a huge outdoor festival right out there like Lollapalooza or something they have it every year and so I grew up watching that movie over and over and over and over and then I got to do the Reading Festival in 2004 with with Red Yellow and it was sort of surreal to be like able to play that festival that I had sort of dreamed about playing when I was a kid yeah, you know, I, it, so it was another one of those milestone moments when I'm like, I can't believe this is like actually happening. And there was White Stripes were headlining it, Morrissey, The Roots, New York Dolls, Fransford, oh, Block Party, cool. MC5. Some of the guys reunited, The Roots. So wow. it was like really cool to have all access backstage, you know, to with all these huge bands, and and it was just really it was a great experience. So that was another kind of marquee um, experience. And the other last quick one was uh, we did a John Peel session. I don't know if folks know who John Peel is, but at BBC mm-hmm. Radio, uh, he passed away. But he sort of was a tastemaker in mm-hmm. um, the UK on the BBC. So he would play bands that he really appreciated and he would like hand select bands. So he selected us to come on his show wow. and record a session. So we got to go to Maida Vale Studios, which is like this iconic Peel session, you know, recording BBC recording building. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, our producer had produced Nirvana Peel sessions and he'd been doing it for like ever. And it was just like all these great bands. But we flew over from Boston to London, 
got into London at like 7 a.m., didn't sleep on the flight over, picked up our <laughs> tour manager, went right to the studio, no sleep, got right into the sessions. Um, you know, you're 23, you can kind of do that. I would, yeah, you can pull it off, man. <laughs> but like, you know, we went right in, no sleep. I don't even know how many hours I was up straight. Played the session, did about four tracks, took a break to go to the pub, had fish and chips, uh, went back, mixed it all. And I think I was passing out by the end. We were just all falling asleep in our chairs. Um, but, you know, we walked down the hallway of the studio building and one of the engineers goes, oh, you, you see in that room, that's where the Beatles did all their orchestral work. Wow. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I'm a huge Beatles fan. I like, mm -hmm. obsessed. And I was like, oh, my God, I almost like fell over. I'm like, you kidding me? Um, but it's very nonchalant, you know. Um, but uh, those are like a few different just really marquee, I think, experiences that I had that um, are really memorable. And that's it was sort of like that taste of like a dream coming true it wasn't like rock stardom but for me it was it was like validation that the work i had put in had paid off yeah. and because i really believed and dreamed that i wanted to do the, do those some of those things mm -hmm. and it actually happened <laughs> it was yeah. like wow you know here i am talking to you i'm not like a, a big rock star or anything like that but you know it's just it just felt really good at the time um yeah momentum yeah, no, that's that's really really cool. Uh, I love those stories, and there's so many parallels in my own life. Although I, my my band wasn't as successful as yours, but um, I just just so many things are similar. But that's that's a story for another time. Um, so I got a ton. I, I had to yeah. pare down three. I had to really think <laughs> hard about this. Like, I, I, there's all sorts of different kinds of stories. There's you know, you know, rate more racy stories. You know, there's we had a lot of wild experiences, um, but you know. I really felt like those are the three like highlights of my time with the band. So for me, yeah. they were really the most important well, stories. Maybe some of the listeners would, would like to share a beer with you and uh, dig a little bit deeper into some of those stories. I got plenty. <laughs> Hit me up if you want, if you want to chat, cause I'll, uh, yeah, I'm happy uh, to. <laughs> all right. So th minute. this is your, your, your route wasn't the traditional, Hey, go to college and apply for jobs and get in on the ground floor. And then you build a career from there. You had this, uh, really awesome experience in between. Uh, are there any lessons that you draw from your days as a musician that you've been able to then apply, uh, to your professional career? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, people think uh, the rock and roll lifestyle is all fun and games, like, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, like all this. It's really hard work. And it's mm -hmm. really a lot of branding yourself and marketing yourself. Right. And running a small business. You know, yeah. you're doing everything. Um, so it was a ton of work. It was very grueling, um, ton of fun. Mm -hmm. But um, I think a few key things, and some of this just applies to life post music for you know a full-time music career for me like taking some lessons in mm -hmm. to the working world because i've done a lot of different things in my career over the past 11 years i've constantly like kind of stepping into different roles and flexing and challenging in new ways but i think the, the if i had to like boil it down i'd say you know practice is huge you know mm -hmm. like i mentioned i practiced for a year when i was you know before touching drum a drum kit i do was called you know just the rudiments of how to play the the foundation of how to play Mm -hmm. So that when now when I sit behind the drums, I just play without having to think too much about what I'm doing because that just gets in the way of the creativity and the in the moment, the expression. Yep. But if had I not practiced so hard and so long, 
I wouldn't be able to do that. So practicing your craft and insights, whatever your profession, this, for this audience specifically, practicing and honing your craft uh, is, is key to mm-hmm. be experimental and to flex on the fly. Yep. Stay nimble and agile. So that, that one is huge for me. Um, teamwork is another huge component of that. So, you know, we, C-Space is a consulting company. We work with our client teams and mm-hmm. with our internal teams. So, you know, when we partner with a client, like we are their team, we are an extension of their team. So you need to be a great teammate. And that doesn't mean being a yes man or just going along because in music, sometimes the part isn't good enough. Sometimes the chords aren't good enough. Sometimes the lyrics could use a little work. Sometimes someone will tell you, you know, that drum part is a little stale. Can we try, you know, and you got to say, yeah, let's try something different. Okay. You got to be very open. You can't be too much ego and too hard headed when you're writing music as a unit, which we did. It wasn't like we had a John Lennon or a Paul McCartney. We had four people. Everybody was building the music 25% across the four of us. Right. You had to take criticism and you had to give it and you couldn't, then you had to go have a beer and just be like, cool. Like, it's not like, you know what I mean? So there's that, collaborative team teamwork where you have to be constructive with each other right give, give some tough love and um just know how to how to work with people's personalities you know right. um so that's a huge component and then the last thing especially when i think about like my my c space and what we do is you know this this blend of art and science and music it's kind of interesting because for me there's a lot of technically gifted uh musicians like they can mm-hmm. play the technicals, especially drummers, yeah. but they don't have the feel, yep. you know, uh, like Levon Helm from the band has the feel and he does. And, and, you know, um, there's just certain drummers or certain ways to play that, you know, supersede just technical ability. So when I think about insights, I think you could have all the data or scientific, you know, data out in the, out there at your fingertips, but without the emotional feel of a customer, mm-hmm. without that deeper level understanding, you're mm-hmm. missing some, you're missing a piece. So you have to blend the art and the science. I think to be a great musician, mm-hmm. you have to be technically sound and also artistic and have feel where you can get to a deeper level. And with insights work, you need to have great solid data about your customer, but you also need to have feel and emotion understanding of them at a, at a subconscious level. So right. those are the big three for me. And I, you know, I use those every, every day. Yeah. That very much resonates with me on both sides, music, as well as uh, the insight space. So C-Space is, I think, always been considered a forward thinker. Uh, and so I'm interested to know from your perspective, being there now and um, kind of seeing where, things are headed for you and perhaps for the industry. Any, any thoughts uh, that you have on where the industry might be headed or, or what's important? Yeah, absolutely. This is actually, it almost feels like a plant question, but it's not <laughs> um, for the audience. But we actually just wrapped up uh, our first ever uh, virtual event, global event called the Better Why Conference, which is all about building the future of insights with insights mm-hmm. leaders kind of debating and creating the future together. 
Cool. Um, as part of that, like I personally sat in on about 30 plus interviews with key insight leaders across companies like Salesforce, Bacardi, Mars, you know, huge organizations. So we talked to the insights leaders there and asked them questions and got their perspectives, put that all kind of in a blender, mm-hmm. you know, and, and said, okay, let's see, let's pull some threads out of this and we're writing a report on that actually, which is going to come out in a few weeks. Um, and what came out of those conversations and what I hear from clients, you know, there's, there's a few things that are top of mind as we look to the future, you know, you got to bring together the right data sets to get the breakthrough insights. So I know data is very prevalent. It's on, it's on everybody's mind, but you really need to bring that together. You got to find the way to, to marry that data uh, with the least amount of friction as possible so that you can get to the insight. That's one. Um, two is insights really is transitioning. And I think COVID's accelerated this um, transitioning from a form of validation to insights being the headlights of the organization. So even up to the top, like the C-suite, they need to know what people are thinking, what customers are thinking now, um, because routines have changed, mindset has changed, there's been massive disruption. So it's, instead of just being a validator, you're now asked to be a future forward thinker in the organization and to lead the organization with the customer. You know, I have that unique uh, perspective. So that's two. And then um, kind of along with that is positioning insights leaders, you know, as strategic partners to the business. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not, uh, you know, you've got to be a partner. You've got to be strategic. You've got to think strategically uh, to help the business to grow. Um, And and also, you know, this is top of mind for a lot of folks, given everything that's going on in our country is the need to really be inclusive and to bring diversity into insights. Right. There's a lot of focus now on, you know, racial equality and, and, and just being, you know, diverse and understanding your diverse consumer sets. And a lot of times as researchers, we sit around and we all kind of look like each other and we all kind of, you know, we need to bring in the diverse mindset and attitudes and thoughts and, and perspectives of, a, of the diverse uh, consumer set. Mm-hmm. So research has to kind of shift gears and lead the way there too. Yeah. Um, so those are a few of the big things that have come out of our conversations that we were putting together in the report, and there'll be a bunch more detail um, on all of those things. That's great. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Um, so thinking about either personally or professionally, some other media, be it podcasts or uh, books or old school blogs or whatever, um, what are you following or what, what do you get inspiration from? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I'll just do a shameless plug for our Outside In, which is the C-Space podcast hosted yeah. by our CEO, Charles Travail. Um, it's really, it is really a great podcast to listen to. We just had um, the CMO of Microsoft was, I think that just dropped, that episode just has been released. But um, cool. if you're an insights, customer experience, you know, strategy, you know, I can't recommend, although I am biased, um, can't recommend you know, a better uh, medium to kind of hear from the, the biggest leaders, you know, in the, some of the biggest organizations about how they think about the customer. Right. So um, I would recommend that. Um, just out of, you know, uh, personally, or just out of general interest, you know, I find I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan. I like his work a lot. He had, you know, I, his podcast is, I think is number one or is usually at the top of the list there. So I, um, 
I've listened to him, his podcast a lot and see what he has going on. And from that, um, I've found, you know, you mentioned a few books. Um, I really like a book um, by a gentleman named Chris Voss, who, who wrote a book called Never Split the Difference. And he was a former okay. FBI hostage negotiator. And he wrote a book about negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, just a real interesting book just for general business uh, or just human relations, because he really, he teaches the techniques that the FBI uses in, in life or death situations. You know, how right. you talk to people, the phrasing you use, your tone, you know, kind of how to use words. And uh, it's really a page turner because he talks about these, you know, amazing situations he's been in right. with bank hostages. And then he brings it back to a business principle. Or, so it's it's a page turner. It's really an interesting book. So I'd highly recommend people check that out if they're interested in that kind of thing. Cool. Uh, and uh, the last one I'll mention is, is a gentleman named Jocko Willink, who's a, a, a former yeah. Navy SEAL, and he has a book called Extreme Ownership, which is just solid business advice about how to how to play on a team, how to how to be a, a great uh, leader in your organization. You know, if you're if you're in insights, you need to lead the business. You need to become a leader, and he really just tells you how to do that effectively. Um, again, using milita- military stories about him being in the field in military operations and bringing that back to how it applies to business. I guess I just really yeah. like these high stakes um, <laughs> kind of <laughs> stories that, that keep me captivated and then also give me a principle. So yeah. um, I think that's how I learn. I like to be entertained, but also, you know, uh, learn uh, about business. So I'd recommend a few of those things. You know, it was Jocko Willink that got me getting up at 4.30 a.m. every morning to work out with my daughter last school year. So uh, I follow him, too. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, so uh, I have to ask, I have to ask, uh, you're in music. Uh, I know you've got good taste. So you're stranded on a desert island. You've got three records at your disposal of your choice for the end of your days. What are they? Man, I mean, yeah, this is a tough one because there's just so many. But again, like this, like I think like stories from my from my music days, I think about the biggest impact on my life. Um, I I picked three. Um, the first one is Pet Sounds uh, by the Beach Boys, which I fell in love with when I first heard it. It just sounded perfect. And as I when I listen to it, I always hear something unique, and mm-hmm. I actually love to listen to the instrumental version of that album because I think Brian Wilson legitimately is a genius. And if you listen to the instrumental version of Pet Sounds, which they came out in their box set anniversary edition, it's just the backing instrumentation. They had some of the best musicians playing complicated, you know, intertwined melodies and harmonies. I love listening to that because it's just, it's just, and it's recorded in such a rich way, sort of that Phil Spector wall of sound sort of style. Um, So innovative for the the time when it was released in like 66. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one, that's one for sure. That was a lock. I was like, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. The other was, other couple were a little hard, but I picked Quadrophenia by the who for my second, because I love Keith Moon. He's my favorite drummer. Absolutely. I love Tommy, but something about Quadrophenia and the story resonates with me and how I kind of, I don't know, guess going through adolescence and sort of a coming of age, like it felt really close to me, Mm -hmm. Um, like having multiple 
you know, these different kind of personalities and thoughts and you're growing up and you're confused. It just the story and the, the drums and the music. I mean, just really awesome. And plus it's a double album. So I kind of cheated and I got two for one. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and the I actually saw the Who do Quadrophenia in high school with Ringo Starr's son on drums. Um, oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, wow. Zach Starkey. So uh, that was an amazing concert. Um, and the third I picked was a fun house by the Stooges um, because something about the, the trashy, experimental, jazzy almost um, play on that album. And it was actually recorded live with a PA in a, in a room. Like it was like legit recorded live. Yeah. Um, I, I love that record, uh, the way it sounds, the way it makes me feel, the groove that it has. Again, the feel, it yeah. has a feel to it that just puts me in a, in a vibe uh, and I can just listen to it in the background. I just, and there's these long kind of jams on it that are, it's just um, somewhat like almost like meditative, but also really energetic and loud. And you can have like a six pack and listen to it. <laughs> and it's just, it's just fun. Um, so those are my three. And I really, I, you know, there's plenty others, but I, yeah, uh, those are really, those are really special albums to me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting um, hearing red, yellow, uh, I'm not terribly surprised actually to hear all three of those choices. So the, the influence, I can pick out little pieces of influence in all of those in, in the, the music that you created. So that's really cool. All right, Paul, uh, this has been an awesome chat. I really appreciate it. So much fun. I can't wait till we can continue this conversation. We got so much more to chat about. But in the meantime, I just want to say, hey, thanks again uh, for joining me on the Rock and Roll Research Podcast. I uh, really Thank appreciate you. it. Awesome. Thanks for doing this. It was a blast. All right. Cool. Take it easy. All right.